Some of you know we had a uh, Community Good Friday service this afternoon uh, at the Reisterstown United Methodist Church. One of the uh, experiences that I have there every year is of tiring my arms out, holding out the hymnal like you're taught to do when you're a kid in a traditional church and you forget to do, then you remember why. You had to be trained to do it because it's not natural. But uh, we, we sang that uh, classic Good Friday hymn, O Sacred Head, Now Wounded. And I was struck as we were singing that by one of the words in the very first, uh, sorry, the, the first line of the last verse, O Sacred Head, Now Wounded, begins, O Sacred Head, Now Wounded, which is often the way that hymns begin with the first line. With grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns, thine only crown. How pale thou art with anguish, with sore abuse and scorn. How does that visage languish, which once was bright and as morn? What thou, my Lord, hast suffered was all for sinner's gain. Mine, mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. Lo, here I fall, my Savior, tis I deserve thy place. Look on me with thy favor, vouchsafe to me thy grace. You know that it's an old hymn because it's got words like vouchsafe in there. This one incidentally came from the Latin. First translation of it we have is from the middle of the 17th century. The last line is what language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, for this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end? O make me thine forever, and should I fainting be, Lord, let me never, never outlive my love to thee. And I was struck as I was singing this by that word, friend. What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend? There are elements of the, church, uh, the Christian tradition, of the Christian family, that think about Jesus as a friend and not enough as a Lord. Some of them think too much of him as Lord and not enough of him as friend. Both are true. Both have to be held in tension with one another. And especially at this time of year, I think, we are probably inclined to think of him as Lord unless his friend. But he is our friend. He is a friend of sinners. And if we're sinners, and we are, then he offers his friendship to us. We read in Romans, the end of chapter 4, that Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins. Greater love, Jesus told his disciples, has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. I've called you friends, and he demonstrated that abundantly when on the cross. He suffered being delivered over to death for our sins. Now that little snatch of a verse in Paul's letter to the Romans comes from the end of chapter 53 of Isaiah the chapter on the suffering servant. We read this today at the service as well. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand after the suffering of his soul. He will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. And here's what Paul quotes. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We read in the letter to the Hebrews that Jesus is not the sort of high priest who can't sympathize with us. Of course, all the high priests of the Old Covenant were just people like everybody else. They knew what it was to sin. They knew what it was to need God's mercy they knew what it was to make those sacrifices year after year, day after day that God had prescribed. The writer of Hebrews says he was made like his brothers and sisters in every way, yet was without sin. It's the one way in which he was different in his humanity from us that Jesus didn't sin. The experiences that we have are the experiences that he had save one, save the experience of guilt. Jesus never knew what it was like to wake up in the morning with the realization of what he had done the night before, crashing through a hangover haze. Jesus never knew what it was 
to have dropped the plate he was not supposed to have been playing with and to not be able to put it together. He never knew what it was to have spoken that word that he wishes he could pull back in and stuff back in his mouth because now it's been spoken and now it can't be unspoken. He never rang a bell that had to be unrung. He never spilled milk that he couldn't get back in the jar. He never squeezed a tube of toothpaste, not just because they hadn't invented them at the time, but he never had to try to get toothpaste back in a tube. He never found himself having deeply, deeply wounded somebody and being unable to fix that at all. Jesus never felt guilt. We do. At least we should. If we don't, that means we have somehow managed to make ourselves calloused, numb to the awareness of the things that we have done that deserve punishment. Guilt for us is a reminder that things are not right. And so Jesus' friendship to us, I was reminded today, Jesus' friendship to us involves Him taking away that guilt. Think about it. Think about how it feels when you have hurt somebody, how it feels when you've done something wrong, how it feels when you realize just what you have failed to do that you needed to do, what you did that you shouldn't have done. Think about the chaos brought into the world, and it was your fault, the havoc that's been wreaked in your life. Just think about having that guilt sit on you and not being able to do anything at all to get rid of it. Moving on a bit in Hebrews in chapter 10, the author says the, the Torah, after all, is just a shadow of the good things that are coming. It's not the realities themselves. And for this reason, it can never, by those same sacrifices, repeated endlessly year after year after year after year after year, make perfect those who draw near in worship. I mean, if it could, obviously at some point somebody would have stopped offering them. But no. They kept going. See, the worshipers, if they had stopped, would have been cleansed once for all. They'd no longer have felt guilty for their sins. And since they didn't feel guilty anymore, they wouldn't have had to keep making these sacrifices. But see, these sacrifices, and here the writer of Hebrews is talking about the annual sacrifices on the Day of Atonement, on Yom Kippur. Those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. 
It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. And first, the writer of Hebrews says, he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See, day after day, every priest stands. He performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which ultimately can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered once for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And these priests could never sit down. These priests had to do it every year over and over and over again. But this priest sat down. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And when these have been forgiven, there's no longer any sacrifice for sin. And so because of this, my brothers and sisters, we have confidence We have brashness. We have boldness. We have by what in any other circumstances would be the greatest of presumption. We have the chutzpah to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that's opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Imagine how horrible it would be to never be able to get rid of a guilty conscience. To have that just linger and fester. To never be able to do anything about that. But we have our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. We have our bodies washed with pure water. So let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for the one who promised us is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's not give up the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. See, We were separated. The whole point of this long 
exposition in Hebrews the author is giving us is that according to the Old Covenant, there, there was a separation between the people and God. The only one person could go into the most holy place, which was where the presence of God was understood to alight a upon the earth. Only one person could go in, just the high priest, and he could only go in once a year. And he could only go in unless he had made the prescribed sacrifice, unless he was clothed in precisely the garments that were prescribed. Everybody else was way outside. Even the other priests didn't go inside with him. Just him, just one, one guy. They used to tie a rope around his ankle. So that in case he died and they had to pull him out, nobody else would get that whole treatment from Raiders of the Lost Ark when they went in and opened up the lid. Only once a year. Only one person. And nevertheless, year after year, all that blood being sprinkled on the mercy seat, on the Ark of the Covenant, would have made that a rather gory place. There'd be a lot of dried blood around. A reminder every year to that priest that sin is costly. And the fact that that had to be done year after year after year. As the writer of Hebrews says, it was a reminder to the people. That sin needed to be dealt with. And so, when he says that Jesus made it possible for us to enter that most holy place, he means that the doors have been flung wide open, as Matthew describes it, as we heard last night, as we were reading through Matthew's gospel, that upon Jesus' death, that curtain in the temple that separated the most holy place was torn in two, top to bottom. And so God had grabbed the top of it and ripped it apart. No more is there separation. And when we think of all of the results of sin, the alienation that it produces, not just with God, but with our own consciences, with one another, with this world that we live in, there is work of restoration, this work of reconciliation that God has made possible because he has done business with sin. And we see this throughout Scripture. Every time God's talking about reconciliation, every time he's talking about setting things right, there's always some mention of the fact that that's not going to happen without the forgiveness of sin, which, after all, is what screwed everything up in the first place. So there's a sense for us, whether it's because we go through a particularly ex intense experience of guilt and shame, having become aware of something that we've done to hurt somebody. Whether it's because at a time like this, we suddenly are forced to reflect on the magnitude of Jesus' sacrifice for us. We are once again forced to realize just what a friend we have 
in Jesus, just how great the Father's love is for us. That we would be cleansed of our sin and brought into renewed fellowship with Him. We're reminded that sin isn't just a problem because it separates us from God, because if it's not dealt with, it keeps us from eternal life. All that's true, but sin also just feels bad, doesn't it? Guilt feels awful. Just eats at us, just gnaws away. And if you, if, you know, if you don't experience this, then I guess this isn't for you, but for the rest of us who sin and who feel guilt. Good Friday is a reminder to us that that is not the end of the story. He was delivered up for our sin. I'm going to take communion in a moment, but let me first close this sermon by reading Psalm 32. I just invite you to just close your eyes and listen to this. Let this sink into your soul. And then after that, we will stand and join together in the creed. And I'll invite you to come forward to take the elements. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose spirit is in no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they shall not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle. They will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you who are made righteous by the blood of Jesus. And sing, all of you who by his grace, are once again stood up upright in heart. Amen. I invite you to stand and join with me in reciting the creed.
After that, I invite you to come forward and take the elements. The white is grape juice, the red is wine. Uh, The bread is unleavened. Please bring them back to your seats and we'll partake of them together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and life of the world to come. Amen.